Hello, and welcome to Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 132. Today, we will be going over the edits again, The uh, but before we start that, quick station news, um, you should check out Steve's books. You can find them on Amazon, just search Stephen Oaks, or just go to my show notes and follow the link from there. You can also check out my book, same show notes. Speaking of my website, you should go there. It's huginhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. The show notes will have cool things that my kinsmen and I do that you can check out. Um, And also you can get the RSS. And I never actually release this podcast right on the first of the month like I should because I'm bad at podcasting. So if you have the RSS, it just comes to you. When it comes, it's usually the second or the third of the month. Uh, This month, I think it's going to be the fifth. Unfortunately, I'm running very far behind, so sorry about that. But if you've got the RSS, it just comes into your feed whenever it is available. So I do suggest that, and I really think that's all I have, and I kind of want to jump into the have them all. So let's just go ahead and do that. Okay, we are on page 20, if you have the Everyman version of the Eddas. You don't have to use that version. I think there is a link to a free version put out by Sacred Text. Legal, it's not. It's a legally free version. Sacred Text puts out a bunch of um, mythology books and stuff like that. So if you want to follow around in, in that version or just... It will be a different translation, but it's still a way for you to read it, and it's totally free. So there is a link in the show notes, which I just talked about, hugenhoff.org. So let's just jump into it. It said, Then spoke Anglary, where does the wind come from? It is so strong, it stirs great seas and whips up fire. But strong as it is, it cannot be seen. Thus it is marvelously made. Then said, Hi, I can easily tell you that. At the northmost end of heaven there sits a giant called Ralphfelg. He has eagles he has eagle form, and when he starts to fly, winds arise from beneath his wings. It says so here. He is called Ralphveg, who sits at heaven's end, giant in eagle form. From his wings they say wind comes all o- wind comes over all men. Alright, so again, a quick reminder of my thought of what mythology, um, or what these books are doing, what the lore is telling us. It's not actually an explanation of where physical wind comes from, because I think our ancestors were intelligent, and I don't think they thought it literally came from a giant in eagle's form, but rather the reverse. It's hard to comprehend anything about a giant because, or a god for that matter, because they're not physical beings. We don't have a frame of reference. Um, so using physical characteristics, it's showing the strength and might of this giant by saying that all wind comes from him. And we know if that were to be true, he would obviously be very strong because there's a lot of wind and it's strong and you know, a lot of our ancestors lived on or near the sea, so they knew the power of storm. So there's all that like raw, unbridled power in this description, making you understand that this giant is actually very strong. So I always say that when these come up, but I'll say it again. 
Then spoke Inglary, Why is there such a great difference between warmth of summer and the cold of winter? High said, So wise a man should not need to wait. So High said, So wise a man should not need to ask, for everyone is able to tell that. But if you have got to be the only one so ill-informed that you have never heard of it, then I will look on it kindly that you should for once show your ignorance and asking, rather than you should continue unaware of what you ought to know. Uh, Zvasad is the name of the one that is father of summer, and he is so blissful in his life that it is from his name that what is pleasant is called Zvalig, delightful. And Winter's father is called either Vindlari or Vinsval. He is Vasid's son and member of his family. And members, wait, and members of this family have been grim and cold-hearted. And Winter inherits their nature. So this is also interesting, the idea of summer being kind and blissful. Now, of course, there's a reference to this word svalig, delightful, which doesn't have the power that it once had um, because we speak a different language. So there's that. Um, but I still think it's interesting. There's this idea that summer is blissful and happy and the winter is grim and cold and unhappy. So they're sort of personifying the seasons. I do wonder if our environment had been different let's say for example we had really harsh summers that were uh, 120 degrees and summers were really harsh and winters were mild by comparison and sort of pleasant if these would be reversed I mean it's hard to say that but I kind of feel like that may be the case the fact that our ancestors generally lived in areas that had those harsh winters probably makes the personification of winter be a grim mean-spirited person whereas summer is the happy nice-spirited one anyway it's just interesting to think how these stories are shaped by a lot of things but the way we approach deity is shaped in part by physically the land that we live in um and it's not to say that you know if you now live in a place with really harsh summers or and and um, mild winters or even if you have left the earth to go onto another planet that you can't understand what they were getting at you can um but it's still interesting just to keep in mind that like the physical place that you live is going to affect the way you tell stories and that's very true in mythology but i think it's or for the lore but i think it's true in other things there's a lot of things uh turns of phrase that you say that is uh dependent on the geography that you live in i, I think even you know we have songs that say like happy sunshiny day we don't we don't have songs that say happy pleasantly cool winter like there's our physical environment has a lot to do with the way that we approach the world which i think is something that's really easy to forget um just because it's such a base part of our everyday life i i would be curious 
how we would be affected if we moved to, let's just say, theoretically, we moved to some planet with wildly different weather patterns than us, where sun is, where the heat is the enemy and the cooler seasons are the more pleasant one. How would that change our vocabulary? How would that change the, um, oh, what do you call them, like sayings and stuff that we have, like cliches? How would that change the cliches? How would that change our attitude towards the world? Would that change our attitude towards the world? I think those are interesting things to think about. And I think to an extent, of course, it would change our outlook on the world. But I also don't think it would be anything massive. I don't think we would all of a sudden think murder's okay because winters are mild and summers are not. Um, but it would be curious to see just how much of a change of a radically different environment had and if you really want to get radical like what would happen if we lived underwater like let's just say we colonize an ocean planet and have underwater settlements how would that change our day-to-day -day life how would that change us as people that'd be an interesting thing to know uh, that's not what this is getting at that's a tangent so let's get back on track um, then then spoke in glary which are the azir that men ought to believe in High said, there are twelve Aesir whose nature is divine. Then spoke just as high, no less, ho no less holy are the Asinur, nor is their power less. Okay, let's just read that again. No less holy are the Asinur, nor is their power less. Just pointing that out. Then spoke third, Odin is highest and most ancient of the Aesir. He rules all things, and mighty though the other gods are, yet they all submit to him like children to their father. Frigg is his wife, and she knows men's fates, though she does not prophesize, as it says here, that Odin himself, himself, himself spoke to the A's called Loki. Alright, so a quick... Reminder, the Aesir and Asinur are male and female gods. It does point out that they are equally strong. And the first god it mentions is, of course, Odin. And the second god it mentions is Freg, Or goddess, I suppose. Freg, his wife. Sometimes I feel like there is this idea that Norse mythology is male-centric or sexist and some other way and and there are definitely groups of people who maybe call themselves Austrue who are sexist but I I think no I don't think I'm sure that fundamentally Austro and our ancestors and Norse mythology is not sexist at all there's very much the idea that men and women are equal there's even stories in y'all saga I think where a wife did not like her husband and sued for divorce. She had the right to do that. There are women warriors, which come up kind of famously in some of the stories. But also archaeologically, we found a lot of graves that had women warriors buried with swords and armors and stuff. And actually, we misidentified them because the people who found them were like, oh, they're warriors. They must be men and didn't even bother to check the gender because they were extremely sexist, but it turns out that no, actually they were women. So there is often, I suppose it's a societal problem really that sexism is a thing. Unfortunately, there's, you know, our society's not perfect, we're working on it, but sexism is a thing in society. And I think here it's nice that we're sitting 
that they're like point blank saying like the male and female or masculine and feminine gods are equal in power and the first two that are mentioned are Odin and Freg, a masculine and a feminine or a male and female god. Uh, that's just important so we don't you know if somebody's like oh well Austria by its nature is sexist this right here is evidence to the contrary I just think it's important to remember that so I'm bringing it up all right um, back to what Loki said or what Odin himself spoke to Loki rather mad you are Loki and out of your wits why will you not be silent Loki all fates I believe Frigg knows though she herself does not pronounce this is another one that's always been interesting Frigg Odin's wife knows all fates she knows the fate of all men but she doesn't say them why not um, and I think it, it could very much be I mean in in part we have an example of what happens when you do know your fate with Odin um, it says that after he learned his fate he like never smiled again knowing your fate is a huge burden to bear like you think it would be good until you really start to think about it because first you're like oh well I want to know I want to know how and when I die because then I can avoid it but then you're like well then you don't really know your fate because you're avoiding it your fate by its nature is something that must happen so so then you're like okay well if I knew when I died I could take you know a year off beforehand to say goodbye to my family and just have a good time and really enjoy myself because I knew I was going to die but is that really good either like that whole time you wouldn't be having fun you'd be getting ready to die and, and if that time period is a month or two it can kind of be nice to have the closure with your family but if that time period is your entire life I feel like you're always thinking about how and when you're gonna die and I mean that'd be unpleasant Odin is extremely wise and willing to make a lot of sacrifices and he uses the knowledge of when and where he is going to die he uses all that knowledge of the future to do good things like prepare for Ragnarok which is absolutely necessary but for the regular person I don't think we should have to have that burden and quite frankly I don't know if we could handle it I don't I don't really think I could handle it so divination is tricky knowing your possible future can be great because you can prevent it but knowing your actual future really could uh, kind of destroy your happiness so Frigg does know the fates of all men but she doesn't say them oh and then also speaking of her knowing the fate she knew the fate of Baldur her son and you know like what what was she supposed to do with that be like oh well I guess it's important he's leader of the gods in the next cycle so I'm gonna come to terms with and be fine that's not what happened because of course that's not what happened all the gods did everything they could to protect him but it didn't work because that's kind of how fate works if you're fated to die then you're gonna die and and that's what happened now yes through the trickery of Loki but still 
oftentimes, maybe every time, you can't avoid your fate. So, so why would you want to know it? There's good reason to hold back that information. I, I would like to say that I would always rather know because that's usually true. You know, even if, if the nature of reality is harsh or unpleasant, I still want to know because, like, I have a a desire and dedication to knowledge where it's like, even if the world is a cold, unfeeling place, I still want to know that because I want to know what the truth is. The truth is always better than a fantasy, like, by its nature, because it's the truth. But when it comes to the exact time and method of your death, you don't really gain a deeper understanding of yourself or the world around you or anything else. So maybe that's a case where ignorance really is bliss. Still something, you know, to think about. What is good knowledge? What is good to know? Okay, going on. Odin is called Allfather, for he is father of all gods. He is also called Valfather, father of the slain, since all those who fall in battle are his adopted son. sons. He assigned them places in Valhall and Vighalf, and they are known as Einherjar. He is also called Hanga God, God of the Hanged, and Hapta God, God of the Prisoners, Pharma God, God of Cargos, and he called himself by various other names on his visit to King Gerard. I think these are probably well known. I think that everybody knows that Odin is God of the Slain and has a lot to do with battle and taking those warriors to I uh, taking those were those warriors to Valhalla to act as Iron Harry are, you know, the warriors in Ragnarok. Uh, so I'm not going to go into great depth because I feel like that's a very well-known part of Norse mythology. Um, he also, I mean, God of Prisoners, God of Cargo, God of the Hanged, you know, because he was hanged. Um, yeah, Od Odin's God of many things, really. Uh, and yeah, some of the darker things too, you know. The whole war thing is complicated because generally speaking, war is bad. Like we don't like war, right? No one likes war. No one's like, oh, I sure hope a war breaks out. Like, no, war is terrible. Um, but then also it's necessary in certain cases. In a lot of cases, it's not. But in some cases it is. I'm talking like the Revolutionary War. I'm an American. Um or World War Two, like Hitler was obviously evil, and that was a war that, you know, whatever the real reasons we got involved were, it was a war we should have got involved in, because what he was doing was wrong, and we needed to stop him. There are cases when war is necessary. I would love it if we lived in a world where violence was never necessary, but there are certain cases when it is, um, and I'm talking about certain wars where you know you're actually justified in having the war world war ii is always a good example because hitler was so obviously evil that we can be like yeah we were definitely the good guys like he definitely needed to be stopped but the point is things like that come up so war is tricky because you don't want to no one's pro-war i mean some people are no one's really pro-war nobody's pro uh trivial war but everybody, 
a lot of people, most people, understand that sometimes war is necessary. But it's also bad. So, yeah, it's complicated. And then God of the Hanged, I think, has a lot to do with that sacrificing yourself to yourself, destroying the old self to create the new self. And that is a dark scary process in a lot of ways again like it's necessary and even good sometimes but it's still a darker process odin has a lot of the is god of a lot of the darker aspects of life but i don't want to say dark i don't want dark to be equated with evil it's just darker like they're harder to deal with like i don't think anyone would say america or the rest of europe was evil for going to war with Hitler. He had to be stopped. But it's still not something you get excited about. You know, if you're the god of the harvest, like Frey, well, that's easy to get excited about. Harvest is a time you celebrate. There's bounty. You have food. It's a bright aspect of life. But but war is a dark aspect of life. And, just, you know, destroying the old self to create the new self, that's a dark aspect of life in a lot of ways. So, yeah, Odin is very much a darker god but still good. Anyway, uh, moving on, I call my... Oh, so these are some of the names Odin used in his travels. I call myself Grim and Ganglary, Harian, Hyamberi, Thek, Thurthon, Un, Helblindi, Hai, Sans, Vilpal, Sanav, Sengetel, Herti, Hanaikar, Baleg, Baylor, Bulwark. Bulwark is always one I liked. Fjolnir, Grimnir, oh, Grimnir is another one I liked. Glapsfin, Seosfin, Seedhot, Seekek, Sigfather, Nako, Allfather, it's a classic. Atrid, Farmatir, Oski, Omi, Just as High, Just as High, okay. Blindy, Gondlir, Harbard, Sveder, Svedrir, Ealk, Kjali, Vidir, Throg, Yig, Thundir, Valky, Skifold, Proptatir, Gaut, Vitiri. All right, that was a lot of names. I probably shouldn't have read them. Um, the reason I did, though, is I think that Odin has... Odin has a lot of names because he understands that he has to go anonymously, so to speak. Um... If you're traveling like Odin is, he doesn't want, if he's traveling Midgard, he doesn't want his name to precede him and get an unreliable version of reality because of his name. You know, sort of like you're, there, there's the idea you're never really honest to the boss or the CEO of the company. You always give them the best version. You you are on your best behavior with them. Whereas if, if it's a stranger, maybe you're not on your best behavior behavior. You act like you normally would. There's a classic story where Odin goes to visit Medgard to see how a particular king uh, greets him. And it's not very good. Uh, but he, if he went as Odin, obviously, he would have been on his best behavior and he would not have seen reality he would have seen people on their best behavior so for that reason he goes by other names when he's in jotunheim obviously he goes by other names because the giants want to kill him so really to travel the world to travel the world or the nine world in odin's case and understand the truth of them oftentimes you can't go by 
your real name. And I think any type of magician or traveler sort of has to have other names or pseudo names. Um, you can't always use your real name. And that is very much a part of Odin, which is why I read the list, because it's a long list and it says like, hey, there's a lot of names that Odin goes by. And that's significant. Um, he could have one other name. He could be Odin here and Bulwark literally everywhere else, but he doesn't. Every situation, he has a different name. And I do think it's interesting because sometimes those, not sometimes, all the time, those names have meanings and he takes certain names when he's going certain places. And I think the meaning of the name he's under is significant to the story. The name he goes by, the meaning of the name he goes by is significant to the story where he's using that name. So there's sort of another level to understand the story by um, just with the name. Anyway, I think that's a good place to stop, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up here. I'd like to say thank you everybody so much for listening. Um, feel free to check out my website at hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. And I'll talk to you next month. Frau Hell. <laughs>